This is Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi, two of the top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, one from California and one from Massachusetts, squaring off on legal news and legal observations. Lawyer to Lawyer is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the Legal Talk Network. We're glad you could listen today to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams from sometimes sunny Southern California. Today a little bit foggy, Bob. Well, this is Bob Ambrogi from Massachusetts. I write a blog called Law Sites, the uh, legal blog watch for Law.com, and also another blog called Media Law, Craig. And I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Today, though, Bob, we're going to be talking about William Flynn, the teenage lover who murdered Pamela Smart's husband in 1990. He's asking a judge to reduce his prison sentence some 11 years before he's set to become eligible for parole in 2018. Uh, the Pam Smart case, of course, gained national attention with a love triangle involving the teacher, her allegedly abusive husband, and the lovesick teen coming to her defense. William Flynn was 16 when Smart uh, allegedly recruited him to shoot her husband, Gregory Smart. Flynn has, had, had been having an affair with Pam Smart, who was then 22 years old and a media coordinator at uh, his high school. I don't know if there's much alleged about it anymore since she got convicted, but um, in a handwritten letter to Superior Court Judge in Brentwood, New Hampshire, Flynn, who's now 33 years old, says he waited to ask for a sentence reduction until he had spent as many years behind bars as he had free. Flynn was sentenced in 1992 to 28 years to life. The letter was accompanied by statements of support from friends, corrections officials, and people who worked with Flynn at the Maine State Prison in Warren. Well, today on uh, Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to talk about William Flynn's request for an early release. We're going to talk about some of the legal aspects of this, as well as uh, some of the greater uh, community uh, injustice aspects of this and the pros and cons. And uh, a little bit about Flynn's status at the time of the murder, the expectations that he should pay for what he did. We'll also touch upon the sentence reduction of uh, of others who were involved in the uh, murder of Greg Smart and what that means to William Flynn. I'd like to welcome our first guest, Attorney Marsha Kazarosian. She's uh, tried cases since 1983 and developed a wide range of expertise in the areas of discrimination and harassment, divorce and family law, criminal and civil litigation. She is the immediate past president of the Massachusetts Academy of Trial Lawyers. She's on the uh, Massachusetts Bar Association's Executive Management Board, Joint Bar Committee for Judicial Appointments, and the Family Law Section Council. In June 2002, she became the second female president in the history of the Essex County Bar Association, the oldest bar association in the nation. In 1990, she represented Vance J.R. Latamy, one of the three young defendants in what was the first fully televised trial on broadcast television, the Pamela Smart murder case. Thereafter, she represented all three defendants in, the, in an innovative civil action against the Winnicunit High School, where Ms. Smart had been employed at the time of the murder. Marsha also got J.R. a reduced sentence and uh, subject to some reapplication. Welcome to the show, Marsha. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to participate. And our next guest today is Alan H. Stocky. Alan Stocky is a partner in the firm of Stocky and Redette, a firm specializing in criminal defense cases. He's uh, admitted to the California State Bar in 1965 and began his legal career as a prosecutor in the Orange County District Attorney's Office. Uh, after that, he entered private practice in 1968. Since then, he's tried more than 150 jury trials, 
over the course of his career, including many high-profile cases involving political figures, corporate executives, and uh, other high-profile individuals. Mr. Stock is, a certify, is certified by the State Bar of California Board of Legal Specialization as a criminal law specialist. He's AV rated by Martindale Hubble, which is, of course, the highest rating Martindale Hubble gives. Welcome to the show today, Attorney Stocky. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. And we should mention that we had invited uh, William Flynn's attorney to be on the show today, but she declined. Well, Marcia, now let's talk about this request for early release by William Flynn. What are your thoughts about it? Well, my thought is uh, it it varies by state as to whether or not this sort of thing is uh, possible. Uh, many states say you can't even ask for it until the parole uh, date is there, until a person's eligible for parole, apparently. Uh, New Hampshire is a different uh, situation than that. Um, I I think that many judges take a look at it, and it, it, some of it depends upon a person's background, a judge's background, whether he looks primarily at rehabilitation, whether he looks at uh, prevention of crime, that is, setting an example, or whether he looks at strictly revenge or, or, or punishment. The family, I'm sure, uh, always, almost always, not always, uh, wants uh, revenge. They want the person to rot in prison for the rest of his life and constantly be tortured by the memory of what he's done. Uh, so uh, there's a wide variety of uh, opinions that can come about because of all those conflicting factors. Marsha, what about you? What's your thought on this? Well, uh, I can tell you in New Hampshire from my own experience with this case, um, our case was grandfathered in under the old statute, which allowed... Um, defendants who had been sentenced to come in after a period of, I believe it's two years, and then you can come in every two years after that and ask for your sentence to be reduced or reviewed. Um, right after my client was um, sentenced, which was in 1990, they changed the statute to say that you couldn't come in and ask for a reduction until you'd served at least four years or two-thirds of your sentence, whichever was greater. Um, when we did... Um, Vance Latimer's appeal, we were the, uh, I shouldn't say appeal, the request for review, we ended up having to go up to the Supreme Court of New Hampshire because the Superior Court judge did not believe that we had been grandfathered in, but then reversed himself. Um, so that sort of set the, the pace for allowing any of these defendants who were sentenced in 1990 to be able to come back in every two years. And I agree with Al that it depends a lot on how the case is, is viewed, the um, behavior of the people involved. And in our um, written decision, the judge had discussed that particularly there are two parts of sentencing. One is rehabilitation, but certainly the other one is punishment, and you have to look at both sides and weigh them. I wonder if you could just take us back a little bit and remind us, uh, William Flynn and uh, in, in your client, they were, uh, I think, all around 16 years old when, when this crime was committed, it, and by the time they were tried, I, I assume they were 17 or 18, were they tried as adults, and, and what were the circumstances at the time of the trial? Well, actually, Bill Flynn, I think, was 15 when this whole thing started. My client was 17, and the other two were in the 16-year-old range. My client actually was eligible for the death penalty because in New Hampshire they had a death penalty for murder by hire at that time. But thankfully, in January of the year they started the trial, they repealed it. Um, but, yes, we had a, uh, what they call a certification hearing, or they call it transfer hearing in Massachusetts, to try to keep him down as uh, a juvenile. But we were unsuccessful. But uh, it, was a, it was a good first pass of what was going to happen at trial. 
What does the fact of his young age at the time that the crime was committed have to play with the upcoming hearing? Oh, I think it would be, it's very important to consider because at 15, um, you're being manipulated not only by a much older woman, and even though it doesn't seem that old to, to us, the difference between 15 and 22 is great, but she's a person in a position of authority and power and someone he looks up to. Um, I think even um, as far as the way they were treated in prison, their young age was, was taken um, into consideration, and they were um, treated actually pretty well because of it. Al, how do the letters from uh, William Flynn's supporters going to play into the decision of whether to release him or not? Well, if the judge is focusing on rehabilitation, those letters are dramatically important. And, and the letters are very well written, it appears. I've reviewed quite a few of them. Uh, they're extremely well written, and they seem to be uh, uh, very credible. Uh, apparently, the man has, uh, now a man, uh, has uh, uh, developed himself, educated himself in a very, very positive way. So if a judge focuses on rehabilitation, he for sure uh, qualifies, it seems. Um, I'm sure the family of um, uh, Greg Smart, however, is their, their focus is usually on another area, although I have seen uh, some people who... Uh, read things like that, some victims and victim families, they, they would rather not live in, in despair with this hatred uh, uh, in their stomachs and, and in their hearts for years and years and years, and they develop some sort of a forgiveness if they see that the person really has done well. So it could have a twofold effect. It could affect the judge, and it also maybe, just maybe, might affect the victim's family a bit also to see that he's done so well educating himself and doing charitable work while he's been in custody. Al, have you, have you seen situations where the victim's family actually come out in support of the uh, person convicted of killing their, their family member? I had a death situation uh, five or ten years, I guess eight or nine years ago, where in the courtroom, uh, halfway through the proceeding, the victim's family, I think the mother and father, came across the courtroom and uh, threw their arms around uh, uh, my client, hugged him, and uh, said that they forgave him. Uh, it can happen. I admit it's very, very rare, but it certainly can happen. Their feeling was they didn't want to live with hatred the rest of their lives, and they wanted to see that at least the person, well, they can never bring back the, the dead person, um, at least if the person who committed the crime is doing positive things for society, it, it helps honor the memory of the person who is gone. I think that, um, if I could just interject for a second, I think that um, Greg Smart's father supported the um, release of Raymond Fowler, who was one of the lesser uh, uh, culpable defendants, although well, that's how he presented himself. And I believe he's not objecting to... Bill Flynn's, and I believe he also did not object to um, my clients when he was ultimately released about a year and a half ago. The uh, <clears throat> one local newspaper uh, ran an editorial recently opposing Flynn's release, uh, in, in the position it took was was that he got his break when he was allowed to plead guilty to second degree murder charges rather than rather than face. Uh, 
uh, a more serious charge. Do you have any thoughts on, on that? What would be your response to that, Marcia? Well, <laughs> I think everything is, is relative. I mean, it's easy enough to look at it now. I know with the publication you're talking about, as a matter of fact, when this was happening, they were very much in support of, of the defendants um, and um, crying foul on Pamela Smart for having put them through this. But I think you have to not take it so cut and dry or black and white. Certainly, um, if anyone knew that during the course of these um, negotiations regarding the plea, I mean, if they had pled earlier on, they would have received a much lesser sentence. I mean, there's a lot of different um, variables involved, so how would the paper have viewed that? Um, Yes, they did. They were allowed to plead, uh, but um, they still are paying a very heavy price, and they do have a right to request based on changes of circumstances and how they've done and whether they've been rehabilitated and how much punishment, you know, has uh, they've received I don't think it's as easily uh, uh, denied or or seen in that kind of a black and white as that uh, publication saw it. I think many uh, newspapers and and also many people in the community, when they comment on a situation like this, see everything black and white. They see everything as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and, and, and that's all very good. They don't take into consideration the fact that this is a 15- or 16-year-old kid. He's filled with raging hormones at the time. He's got this older woman who's really paying attention to him, and there's a sexual relation going on. And he's barely learned how to make judgments. Uh, he's, he's only a few years away from playing Cowboys and Indians and, or, or Pac-Man or, or uh, whatever other, uh, uh, whatever other uh, games that kids play nowadays. And... Uh, uh, here he is. He's he's got himself into a really big time situation, and and yes, he should have some consideration for the fact that he's just at that point in time learning how to make these judgments. Well, I mean, he'll be eligible for parole. What is it in 2018? Uh, so, it, it, I mean, it's not that he's in, condemned uh, to prison for the rest of his life in any event. Correct. I mean, it, he he was 40 to life with 12 deferred for good behavior, and one of the arguments is that. Well, he already, you know, good behavior is, is a given in prison, and that's why he's given the option to get out 12 years earlier, because his sentence was really 40 to life. My client's was 30 to life. But that's still, uh, you, I mean, when people read about this or you read that editorial in the paper, there are so many things that they don't see, because obviously they aren't there, they didn't hear the whole story. And I think one of the important things to understand is that these kids, um, as impressionable as they were, really believed she had them believing that her husband was physically abusing her and that she was in fear for her safety and her life. And that's uh, that's a, uh, a variable that you can't just ignore completely. I mean, it's something that that adds on to exactly what Al said about these kids are so young they just finished playing cowboys and Indians. So they might have seen themselves as white knights rather than black knights here. Yeah, I think that was part. There were a lot of different things involved in making these um, bad, horrible, tragic judgments. What what happens now? Where, what what actually is the procedure? Uh, they've made a request to the court, is it? And and uh, has there been a hearing? And, and when do we expect to, to know something? Well, you have to file a petition for a sentence review or sentence reduction, um, and the court can either um, rule on it without a hearing, because um, obviously um, the um, prosecutor is going to 
uh, file an objection. I, don't, I haven't heard that they've assented to it because that would be the first time I've ever heard of that happening. <laughs> but um, they can rule without a hearing. Um, as far as when the hearing's set up, uh, I, it, ta- it depends on the docket of the court. Um, it's usually within a, a month or two, anyways, after the um, petition is filed. Uh, and then the judge would rule on it, and um, he's either going to allow it or deny it or give him something in the middle. Al, you're a former prosecutor. Put on your prosecutor's hat here and make some arguments against this uh, early release. <laughs> well, <laughs> the prosecutors generally focus upon the victim and the fact that uh, that this person now is going to be, this defendant is now going to be cut loose and he's going to live a normal life and the um, deceased person never had a chance to live that normal life, and there should be some consideration taking, uh, taken because of that. That is that they've been such tremendous pain. He'd never, they usually talk about how he'll never get to see his uh, daughter uh, or son, whatever it is, go through their wedding. He'll never get to see his uh, daughter wearing a wedding gown and coming down the aisle. He'll never get to see his daughter or son graduate from college. Uh, all of these things that that are so tragic. No question they're tragic, but they keep the focus on that, and, and that does have an effect upon the general public, and it does have an effect on judges. I think one of the things that helps a little bit, though, is that the person who really was the mastermind behind this is still behind bars and will never get out. So that's one small consolation that the person who orchestrated the entire thing is being punished to the fullest extent of the law. Is there, I mean, yes, she was convicted, and, and yes, this is beyond alleged, but, you know, she's she's continued to maintain uh, uh, her innocence up to this date, uh, and uh, even some of the reports that came out at the time suggested that, that the most that she did was kind of suggest this rather than, than mastermind it, as, as you've suggested. I mean, do you see it differently, that, that these oh. these guys were really led by her into this? Oh, absolutely. I mean, any, first of all, I heard all of the wiretap tapes, every single one of them. There is no doubt in the world that she orchestrated this, and she, um, I mean, it was masterful the way she did it. And not only did she convince these kids, but she convinced her buddy, Cecilia Pierce, and, uh, I mean, there was, she was very blatant about, she, she really didn't do too much to hide it. Matter of fact, there were many, many people, kids, at the school at the time that knew all about it. And, and Cecilia was the person who was wired to, to, to record these, is that right? Is she the Cecilia, yeah. yes, she wore the wire. And, um, I mean, it was, there's, if you heard the wire, never mind if you heard Pam um, speaking, but there's no... Absolute no doubt, and this kind of story could couldn't possibly be concocted um, to the extent that they claim that it was. I mean, these kids were separate when when the arrest came down. It all happened very quickly. These kids were separated. The wiretaps were really, really, really clear, and the public really never got to hear most of them. Would it make a difference for William Flynn's uh, petition for release if Pamela came out and said? Yes, it was me. No, I, I think everyone, he's sentenced based on the fact that it was her. The fact that she keeps denying it, it means nothing to pretty much anyone except the public who reads her um, propaganda on um, on the Internet uh, and the people who really don't know all the facts. They just hear what she's feeding them, which is her audience. 
This was her audience back when she did this thing, and it's her perfect audience now. A number of people have written letters to the judge uh, in support of this request. What what impact do those have in your experience? Do, do judges uh, weigh those? Do judges seek a counterpoint to, to those kinds of letters? Uh, how do they evaluate that? I think uh, I think letters are important. Uh, there is a credibility uh, factor there, of course, because you know, occasionally judges are aware that uh, that really a lawyer has written it uh, for the person, uh, as as probably happens occasionally. I I didn't detect that in these letters here, but I'm sure that's one of the things that judges look at. Uh, and some of the time, judges want people to come and and appear personally so they they can get a better evaluation is is this really true has he really done the things that are being described in these letters uh, but they i think they do have an impact there's no question about it here particularly he tried to educate himself until the state prison system the, the people who operate the state prison system the state legislatures apparently took away the the money for college education and so he couldn't finish uh so things like that happen, but he wanted to get a full-on college education, apparently. Those are, those are important factors for a judge. You, you can tell how important letters are when you get one that's negative. <laughs> that's right. And you really know how important the letter is. It's time for us to take a short break. We'll be back in just a moment. We invite you to visit Law.com for timely legal news and in-depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Lawyer to Lawyer is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. Did you know that Legal Talk Network shows are also available as CLE? Visit Law.com's CLE Center at www.clecenter.com. That's clecenter.com to enjoy listening and get CLE credit for your continuing legal education. Check out our Lawyer to Lawyer host blogs, J. Craig Williams' blog at mayitpleasethecourt.com, likewise Robert Ambrosi's blog at legalline.com for daily legal observations, perspective, and, of course, a healthy dose of humor and wit. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. 
Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams. And this is Bob Ambrogi. Uh, we're talking uh, with attorney Marsha Kazarosian, uh, past president of the Mass Academy of Trial Attorneys and an attorney uh, uh, here in Massachusetts, and attorney Al Stocky, partner in the firm of Stocky and Redette in California. Um, the uh, this, this case was really, I think as we mentioned earlier, one of the... Uh, uh, First, uh, well, I don't know if the first, but certainly uh, one of the cases that really uh, played out on television in a big way. Uh, you know, Marsha, you were there. Uh, Al, I'm sure you've been in, involved in, in cases similarly. What, what, what effect did that have on this case, or does it have on a case in general? I think any time the media is involved, to the extent that it was um, in this case, especially, I think this was actually the first fully televised trial on broadcast television. Um, I mean, there, it's a dangerous thing. I mean, everyone saw what happened in O.J. Simpson case, and I always used to say, if the judge that we had here, who was Judge Gray, was had been presiding over the O.J. Simpson case, things would have been dramatically different. But you know, it's it's a dangerous thing. You have to take a lot of precautions. You want to make sure that there's integrity to the uh, to the um, deliberations and to the verdict. And I, I think that it it's um, it's very important to consider. I agree. I think that uh, witnesses in particular can be affected uh, by uh, TV cameras uh, staring them in the face uh, as, they, uh, as they're testifying. It's their, their one minute to, uh, uh, to really make an impact, at least in their minds, and some of the time they can develop uh, additional uh, testimony that probably would never have come out in an ordinary situation, ordinary trial where nobody's paying much attention. Well, Marcia, you brought, uh, you represented the defendants in the civil suit against the high school, and I'm not going to pronounce it again because I'm sure I'm going to get it wrong, but can you tell us about it? Yeah, um, it was yeah, Winnicunit High School, and we originally brought a suit representing all four of them, which included Raymond Fowler. We sued, um, I think, trying to remember all the counts, were uh, basically failure to supervise um, you know, suing the school for not using the proper standard of giving a proper duty of care to these kids when they hired her because there were a lot of indicators from where she used to work, which was, I think was Pinkerton Academy, um, that could have given them pause as well as if they had been a little more in touch with what was going on in the school, everybody knew about it. All these kids knew about it. Um, unfortunately, we had re- ended up referring that case out, um, and I honestly don't even know how it ended up. I think... I don't know if it settled out or if it just was, um, it died a natural death, but uh, I thought it was a pretty good suit at the time. William Flynn, uh, assuming uh, if this request is successful or at such point as he does get out of prison, uh, what happens with him? How does somebody pick up uh, after uh, spending from from the age of 15 or 16 uh, into well into adulthood? under the limelight, in prison? Um, where, how does somebody pick up from that? Well, I, I mean, can only speak from knowing my own client who was in there you know, for quite a long time, um, because I'll never forget when we, decide, when we went to him with that plea and said it's going to be, you know, 
30 to life with 12 deferred, and he looked at me and he said something like, I'm going to be 35, my life's going to be over. And I think I was about 35 when he said that. But it's a really difficult situation. I think it's, you know, my client adapted very well. He's, he's a bright kid. He's a devoted kid. He learned a lot um, when he was, uh, he, he took advantage in the positive way um, doing his, pun- taking his punishment for the crime. Bill Flynn, I think, is going to have a harder time because really the focus was pretty much all on him, and it's, it, it's a very, very sexy story that he's going to have to deal with for the rest of his life. But he sounds like he's done a pretty good job of putting it in perspective. I, I mean, it's, he sounds sincere, and from what I know of him, I have no reason to disbelieve it. He seems uh, to have a very, very good support system, that is, with his wife and uh, stepdaughter, uh, she seemed to be a very intelligent uh, person in the letter that she wrote. And it sounds like she's going to be a big support to him once he is out, uh, whenever that may be. And uh, that, I think, is extremely helpful. It's the people who go out and have nobody around them that uh, tend to uh, revert back to uh, problems that, uh, that society would not uh, want to see. So he, he, he may do all right, mm-hmm. particularly since he's done so well in prison. Uh, under bad circumstances, he may do okay. Well, one of Flynn's friends, Patrick Randall, held Gregory Smart down during the shooting. He's pled guilty to being an accomplice to second-degree murder, I believe. He's in the same prison. He can't also apply for parole until 2018. Uh, how does Flynn's petition affect Randall, and what's, what do you think is going to happen there? Well, actually, he can apply. He can, he can apply any time he wants, every two years. And um, I think he, I believe he's made a conscious decision to hold off doing that. I don't know whether he's doing it, um, he's done it before in the near, in the recent past, but um, he's, he has a whole different set of circumstances, I think, from the other two, and is almost con- maybe considered a little more difficult of a person, although he has done very well in prison as well. They kept these kids together, these three kids together, which is in the system, which was very unusual. And they did uh, thrive emotionally when they were there. So I don't, I don't know, though, that this is going to affect uh, Mr. Randall as much as people would think it might. I read at least one report that said that Mr. Randall does plan to make a similar request, whether he's done that or not. I, I don't believe he has, but uh, I did read that he intended to. There was was one unusual uh, factor there in one of the articles I read that uh, even if the judge does approve an early release, it still has to go to the parole board. I was unclear as to whether that's a mandatory uh, thing or not. Marcia, you may have some. Honestly, I I don't even recall that that happened with um, J.R., but uh, that could very well be true. Newspaper may have been inaccurate on that. Well, we're about out of time, but uh, what we'd like to do uh, before we wrap up the program is to give each of you an opportunity to kind of wrap up with your own final thoughts on this, and then we also encourage you to tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you or find out more about you uh, if you'd like to point them to a website or a phone number or an email or whatever else. So, uh, uh, Marsha, let's start with you and get your final thoughts on this and how our listeners can find out more about you. Well, I think I've been so closely... Um, involved in this, and I've always felt very passionately that these kids were children when it happened, and um, there's a lot to be said about rehabilitation and much less to be said about punishment. So um, as far as how to get in touch with me, um, I'm in Haverhill, Mass. It's Marsha at Kazerosian.com, M-A-R-S-H-A at 
K-A-Z-A-R-O-S-I-A-N.com, and my website is kazrosian.com, and my number is 978-372-7758. Very good. And Al Stocky, uh, final thoughts, and uh, how can our listeners get in touch with you? Uh, I think the if the focus is on rehabilitation and if the judge realizes that these, uh, these were kids at the time it happened, that they were immature and barely able to make uh, judgment calls at that point in time, I think there'd be a reasonable chance, whether it be this time or two years from now, that uh, a uh, shortening of this sentence uh, could take place. The revenge factor or the punishment factor that the public sees is not always uh, the, uh, the only way to go. As far as uh, getting in touch with me, the, the last name is difficult to spell. It's S-T-O-K-K-E, and my email is uh, Stocky Riddit. It's S-T-O-K-K-E-R-I-D-D-E-T at AOL.com. And uh, uh, I, best of luck to Mr. Flynn on this. It seems like they've got something going. Well, Alan, Marcia, thank you very much for participating in our show today. It's been a very much a pleasure to have both of you on, and uh, it's been a very interesting show. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. Thank you very appreciate much. appreciate being here. Bye-bye. And, Craig, uh, look forward to talking to you again next week on Lawyer to I'll be here waiting to talk to you, Bob. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrogi. Hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Lawyer to Lawyer has been sponsored by Law.com. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.